Welcome to the Founder Insights Podcast by Animoca Brands. I'm your host, Rich Robinson, serial entrepreneur and entrepreneur in residence here at Animoca Brands, where I work with our hundreds and hundreds of portfolio companies to cheerlead, cajole, and counsel them on their Web3 journeys. And today, I'm speaking with the founder of Playground, Jia Ling Yang, or some of you might know her as Linda Yang. She is a powerhouse. She has taken all of that skills, experience, and network from her Web2 days and bringing it for a delightful and elegant experience for the user, creating a social activation platform for modern communities in the Web3 world. LFG. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, so we're we're actually we're we're rolling, and um, yeah, it was um, it was wonderful to meet you in person in your. I know you're actually from the southwest, uh, southwest, but uh, the your native habitat of New York City. It really reflects your your energy and your sort of just uh, kind of all the possibilities that you're doing with uh, with playground so uh wonderful to have you here on the pod yeah thank you so much for having me that was a really good time at nft nyc meeting you and getting to host the animoca family that week so mm. yeah feels like feels it. like it, that yeah, was six months going. ago and that feels like a completely different era feels like six years ago but uh yeah and uh you know we talked about some of your activations uh, back then and tell us here in podcast land about some of the things that you're most excited around playground, uh, right now, what's right, right under your nose that you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. I think playgrounds coming to life and sort of, uh, showcasing and living up to its name, you know, playground is a web three social platform meant to, you know, connect communities in order for them to collaborate and grow and organize together. And the past six months since meeting you, we have been building a lot of utility. And so now, um, despite the market, I think the most exciting thing is that we're able to go out and give those builders, um, community organizers, that utility. So we're onboarding communities, they're activating with us. We had an amazing week at our Basel in Miami, did four events. Uh, got over a hundred thousand users from those activations. Wow! Yeah, and on board. So yeah, yeah, and we have been working with amazing communities. One of them was Unrevealed. They hosted three to four days of events with World of Women and with Clonex. Um, we did our own creator party. We did a we did another event with DecentralCon um, called the Batty Pool Party that brought together a lot of women in Web three communities mm-hmm. uh, at the Kimpton Surf Hotel. So. Um, Riding off of that energy, looking forward to the new year where we're, we want to keep that momentum and sort of partner with all of the brands and communities that are in our ecosystem that are on their way to onboarding and then having these cultural moments um, in January, February, and list goes on around all of these um, this, these partnership moments. Yeah, congratulations. 100K signups from an event. Usually a lot of times those things are kind of like theater. And they don't really translate into actual signups. So I think it's a terrific validation of what you're doing and uh, really good uh, use of your time and 
energy at that event. Well, well done. Um, yeah, I, I love the, the broad cultural, uh, applications that, that you guys have with what you're offering. Um, but I also really love the very, very practical details of how you're enabling that. I feel like things are so kind of disparate and disconnected in many ways. And you've created this very elegant solution to pull things together for web three and love to hear about some of those features that you brought to, you know, realization. Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, we really looked at the pain points of what communities are facing right now. And from the user perspective, the first was discovery. And because things are so fragmented with uh, community discovery, we really brought it all together through um, a social connected portal. Um, so the first feature is, you know, sort of like how Spotify has uh, a way to explore all the different artists of different musical genres and the music under them. We have a social discovery portal where you could discover all the different communities in art, music, wellness, film, comedy, et cetera. Um, so rather than, you know, finding members in a Telegram group chat and then managing the memberships in another platform, um, getting your community together um, through a different ticketing or hosting site and then trying to stitch it all together with analytics. Um, we've, we've got one place where communities can manage their communities and where users can um, discover it on the front end so that they can kind of portal from one world to another, um, connect with each other and just play, find all of the relevant drops and events and different types of media that the community is sharing. Super powerful. And you've also um, given the creators the opportunity to token gate their their events and to be able to put everything into into one spot. Can you can you just take us through what, what that what that experience would sort of feel like for the creator and, and for for the user? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I just want to juxtaposition it really quickly to what we're experiencing now, which is, you know, we're all in these group chats where, you know, an Eventbrite link is shared or a, or something got minted or a project is shared and hey, everyone, come meet me here. Or here's a spreadsheet of side events at this conference. Like who's going? Or, hey, like this, my podcast is dropping. You know, our music video just got released. So it's just a link in a group chat gets lost in a thread. It doesn't convert. By the time you see it, the event's over, the drop has ended, um, and it's socially posted on Web2 social platforms where it's not designed to be time sensitive. Um, and so you're left with a group chat that doesn't really activate a community. And when the community matures a bit, they, their only default option is to you know, go to Web2 social platform um, or something like Discord. And for a lot of these cultural communities that put so much craft and love and attention to the vibe of their community, let's say fashion communities or art and music communities, they shy away from some of the other alternatives. So Yeah, don't don't make me don't make me go into Discord. Don't make me go <laughs> So yeah, Playground is a beautiful front end. People can discover their communities and the tools that we've built for the community organizer this ability to connect their members all in one place to drop any type of content, whether it's a real life event, virtual event, 
podcast, video, NFT, merch, and more. And there's a lot of control when it comes to the organization of community. They can choose to make it public or private. They can choose which content goes behind the paywall or not. They can choose to token gate it or not. So they can token gate the entire community or they can just token gate a specific drop. Um, and it's really seamless. It's really easy. And we're designed um, to, you know, be a really easy experience for those that might not be, you know, Web3 deep end yet. And we think that's really important. Yeah, fantastic. You know, uh, NFT, NYC, Korea Blockchain Week, Singapore Blockchain Week. This is my, you know, very real experience as you laid it out. There's a Telegram group and then there's absolutely every flavor of possible media connected to that, including, you know, Eventbrite links and Google map links and everything else. It's like maybe the, 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 the Flintstones, there's a bird with a hammer and a chisel and a piece of granite handing you something, right? It's just absolutely just a, a disparate mess and uh there there needs to be something uh to address that pain point and there's a enter enter playground ding yeah <laughs> yes and you know as much as we're users and want that you know that to be in that flow of experience where we can you know discover communities join events and just be together and do together read watch listen attend things together um the pain point for creators, you know, it's not always their full-time job to community build. Some of these NFT projects or DAOs or other new communities, it's their passion project on the side and their lives need to be made easier because they're the ones that are kind of weaving the social fabric of society back together. Um, they have such an important role. And right now, you know, the fragmentation for them is they, they'll pay $6 just for a link tree, just to link together all their social presences. and you know, um, all of these fees that come from ticketing sites or minting sites um, are taken from the trader. And uh, the more hosting in your VR metaverses um, that these places to, you know, organize your community are, um, are hosted, the more fragmented, like where the community is. And so we've built the tools that help you not just publish content, but manage the access that I was saying before. Um, manage your members. So on Instagram, you might have a million or so followers. Um, and a lot of these web two social platforms are meant for building audiences. But on Playground, you have a direct relationship to your members. So there's a way to kind of like get their wallet addresses and contact info to be able to text them or sync them to your mailing list um, to be able to see how their user journey has been in your community. Did they come in through a one-off event or did they come and subscribe to be a long-term member. Um, so you can sort of see uh, how deep the relationships are and maintain that and really own your own community and own your own data, um, which has been a big um, you know, point of discussion in Web2. Um, besides managing your members and your content, we've got um, Web2 and Web3 on and off-chain community insights. Um, that we think it's really important to know how what the health of your community is, um, you know how much you're growing, where the chapters of your community might be in different cities, um, yeah, and if you're monetizing or not by quarter or by year, uh, which is really important, and to be able to see what other interests your members have, what other communities are they joining, so that you might be able to identify 
future collaborators or brands that would be a good fit um, to collaborate with. Wow, fantastic. Well said. I, so there's a lot of utility and tools we've built. Yeah. Certainly. And I, I think community specifically for Web3 is so often spoken about, and it is unquestionably incredibly important for uh, the growth of Web3, but it's uh, it's something that's really difficult not just to start, but to maintain and to, and to grow. And it can be a full-time job and completely distracting. And uh, in many ways, what you really want to do is spark the community and allow it to kind of grow uh, through its kind of own flywheel uh, and to be able to kind of like step back and curate rather than really pulling the sled in a, in a really hard way. So the, these, these tools are, I was very, um, very impressed when I, when I first saw the, uh, the demo and all the possibilities for this. And, um, let's, let's, let's dig deep into that about your, uh, mission and vision for this and your personal hero's journey, taking all of the scabs and calluses and scar tissue that you got from web two and donning that like armor to go into this web three battles and, and do it in a really informed and I think evolved way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that my reason for starting, it, it really is true that all the dots connect backwards. Um, before I, you know, was jumping into Web3, um, I, I think I was exposed to the idea of, you know, how to find community at a really young age. I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. As one of the only Asian kids in school, um, my parents are Taiwanese. So Taiwanese is an American in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So all my friends were Native American or Hispanic or Spanish. And I grew up around a lot of different cultures. Um, so I realized really early on at a young age, it doesn't matter what you look like um, or where you're from per se. But that real connection happens when you share um your cultures, share your experiences and have meaningful relationships because you've, uh, you have a shared experience. Um, so I think, you know, that shaped my perception early on and just worldview of, you know, how it's an advantage to kind of, um, be as part of as many communities as you can to kind of identify with as many different, um, types of, subgroups as you can and it makes you more empathetic and it also makes you an easier person to kind of talk to anyone and be in any kind of situation and feel like you belong anywhere um which is a great skill um it's beautiful yeah and i carried that with me to ut austin where i went to school and it's a very entrepreneurial town i worked for venture capitalists that had an incubator um while I was studying advertising in school. So I really saw them, you know, grow a company and be with a rockstar team of entrepreneurs while I was studying branding and the notions of scaling, you know, brand values and how to kind of uh, create global iconic brands. And I saw that it was all about the big idea and that, you know, I really knew in college I wanted to start my own thing, but I wanted to do it from the perspective of, of brand building 
building a product that actually lives up to the values that the brand says versus like building something and having marketing try to fix it as communications after I thought it was all very integrated. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's where I got this entrepreneurial bug where I was passionate about tech, knew I wanted to build something. Um, and I graduated uh, December of 08. I'm dating myself. <laughs> I shouldn't say this publicly, but that was the first semester after, um, you know, the, the first financial market crash in 08. So I really like baked in me, you know, baked in me resiliency for sure. I traveled right after that. I spent a year in Taiwan and and worked, but also traveled a lot of Asia. And then I spent a year in Prague and worked and traveled a lot of Europe. And I feel that if I that hadn't if that time after college hadn't been what it was, I would have been kind of a workaholic that went straight into a career and never had those life experiences where I got to, you know, experience even more cultures. So Playground was very much born from this passion to, you know, just like feel alive, new experiences, meeting new people, and um, really seeing that the whole world's a playground. Can can we peel that back a little bit more, the Taiwan experience and also Prague? I think in many ways, to be an entrepreneur, I sometimes advocate for people to do things that really put, put them out of their comfort zone, to go into a completely different culture, different language really completely you know everything smells and food and architecture and you're totally off balance and you're just trying to get your footing the whole time like tell me about that transition to to taiwan and you you spoke chinese uh growing up with uh, with the family around the dinner table like how did how did that feel culturally linguistically you know and work-wise being there yeah it's funny i think um Growing up, I spoke Chinese only to my parents, and there wasn't an Asian American community around me. I guess if we drove an hour to Albuquerque, my parents, um, you know, they had some friends there, but really it didn't feel like there was an Asian American community. And so I grew up feeling the need to adapt <laughs> and to fit in. So my comfort zone was, was doing that. And so when I was then in Taiwan and surrounded by only Asian Americans in this, in this, you know, um, in this work program I was in, that was a true experience for me. And I learned to embrace my heritage and culture, um, a little bit more. And I just found like another side of myself that I was proud of. Whereas before I felt like I had to suppress it a little bit to, you know, um, to, to fit in. Um, so that was really interesting and, um, solo travel is always good for anyone. So I did a lot of um, do solo travels alone and I I did learn you know and maybe it was not even me but what I really got from it was that people are essentially good and kind no matter where you are because I experienced so much hospitality um, like and got in so many different situations like traveling alone in India or if it's like Korea like uh, you know um, and we're going to tell some of these crazier stories but it always was okay and people were always super hospitable and kind to me. And I just learned like we're all human, doesn't matter what side of the world I'm on, people um people can identify with me. And so this really shaped my worldview. And then in Prague, um, you know, one of my jobs was teaching English actually. And so that was really uncomfortable because all of the kids are blonde and blue eyed. Me too. 
I, I did that too. I read that about you. And yeah, I forgot so to mention to you. Yeah, yeah I lived yeah. in, um, <laughs> I was living on Beauty Hole's Zip Pulled Abroad, like in Prague 3, like by the, by the TV station. Um, wow. But, you, you know, yeah. And so, you know, I got introduced as, hey, you're your English teacher to, you know, people that were very European and I look the way I do. And like, you're the English teacher. So I think I've always been just in a lot of, it's just a lot of interesting situations. Um, and that was really, really fun. Um, and yeah, just like learning that, you know, just like being scrappy and like traveling a lot. So a year in Asia, I've been in your I, a year in Europe, I really moved back to New York with a sense of like, oh, I, I really, I really got along with people that had the same international perspective from that point on. Thank you for sharing. That's, that's great. I love how you said that before you even went to live in Taiwan and probably like your default setting was, I love to learn from and connect with other cultures, which is which is kind of uh, unusual. So that's uh, that's that's great that you already had that kind of superpower, you know, heading heading out there, um, and and also you know your optimistic, positive view of the world. Um, I think you know I, I've traveled to a hundred countries and I've lived in a dozen, and everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time, has breakfast, you know, school work and dinner, and you know maybe watch the TV, go back to bed. Like everybody's everybody's pretty much the same. And, and people are generally good. And I, I think having that kind of optimistic, positive attitude is hugely important as an entrepreneur because there's so many ways for things to go wrong that you really have to have this open and, you know, very positive outlook towards the world and, um, you know, with, with, with realism. So I think that's a, that's a really, you know, nice insight to your portal into your psyche. Yeah. And you can see sort of the foundation laid for, you know, a, a social community platform, you know, in some of these stories, like if you're traveling alone, let's say in India, which was my first solo journey, six weeks, I went there. It was intense. I basically chose the most intense place, but there are, there is technology out there where you can find a hotel instantly, where you can you know, order food instantly, like a lot of basic human needs. You can, there's some app that's serving that, but then the higher emotional need of like, where can I find like-minded people on the other side of the world? It's already hard enough to connect in real life, but then when you're totally out of your element. And so I remember feeling like, oh, I'm just not, you know, there's, there's people you meet on the street, there's the vendors, there's, you know, the people hosting you and at the time of staying in hostel and you're like, I'm not normally feel connected, but then I'm um through couch surfing actually met this um this woman and she had all her friends invite us to dinner. And then one of them was a copywriter at Ogilvy in Mumbai. And um I had a career in advertising, which I'll get into later, but I was a copywriter. Um and I had um, connections to Ogilvy and we kind of complained about the same accounts like the same music have the same taste and have the same taste in movies and then he um, invited me out with his friends the next night in Bandra and it was a lot of ad friends and I felt like these were my friends in New York I was like I found someone who is living my life on the other side of the world and it's like oh again it goes back to shared values shared interests and then after i have shared experiences with them they've opened up their house to me they hosted me for dinner i have these memories with them and now 
like when people talk about India or whatever, I have like such a different relationship and connection that's based in experience and not based on what you read or intellectualize. And I think, you know, this was setting the foundation for my career where then I went into portraying characters and stories and communities um, for commercials and for brands. And, um, you know, I saw how, you know, people's perception could be really informed by what they're consuming versus experiencing for themselves and knowing deeply. So I feel like that was a really important just perspective to go into my career with. That's great. I love your upbringing, your travels, uh, working abroad, like that all is foundational for what you what you build now and uh take us into your 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 advertising and you know uh web web two career from there yeah so i moved to new york to start my career and um i basically then had um yeah like a great time working my way up to a creative director at at ad agencies so um, started my career at Shy Day. They're known for um, doing all of Apple's ads. Yeah, huge. So, yeah, and then my first my my first client was actually Microsoft Xbox at a place called Crispin Porter. You know, but I really I really got to um, experience a lot of social digital um, projects because that was like the rise of social media, and I got to have a front row seat to how it evolved from its inception. Um, and so I really became, uh, yeah, like a go-to consultant for social digital activation for brands. Worked on everything from YouTube at three different agencies. So that was a front row seat to the creator economy before it was called creators or creator economy. And um, worked at Facebook too, and their Menlo Park headquarters really also saw how a, a social media company was run on the inside. Um, because I did, so many digital projects. I got gaming projects as well. So in LA, worked on the launch of Activision's Destiny. We um, we kind of took the world of the game and uh, activated it within Google Maps, which you know a long time ago was like a cool new format. So yeah, new media was always new media was always really interesting to me. Worked on a lot of social platforms. Uh, Apple Beats by Dre. Uh, when they launched global, uh, globally a campaign for their wireless headphones or Converse when the Nike CMO took over and wanted to do a global rebrand to kind of refresh the brand. Like I was a creative lead on a lot of these really amazing cultural projects. And I was like, oh, it's really fun to work on tech brands because it's global impact, but it's also really cool to work on youth culture brands like a Beats or a Converse because that's almost the edge of culture. So when you see the edge of innovative tech meeting where leading edge of culture is, I thought that was just the most fun and kind of creative playground for, for my career to be. Um, however, over the years, I, you know, I got savvy to, huh, is social media really doing a good job of connecting us? I saw that the life that I had in New York was so vibrant and full of community and it's because all my friends were using facebook events uh, i was joining facebook groups where i found a lot of community um, with entrepreneur groups or women's groups 
And then Messenger, it was not to passively chat with anyone. We all were using it to invite people to do things. So I saw it's helping me because I'm using it in an active way. And I'm not posting fake photos of my life that are filtered. I'm not doom scrolling. I'm not wasting my life scrolling. I'm actually using it to do things and it's making my life richer. And I'm like, this is how my friends use it. Why am I seeing an industry that, you know, is thriving off of a lot of, you know, content engagement that I know is keeping, you know, young people on their phones over four hours a day and also reading headlines that like people are more and more lonely, um, which is like something people don't talk about. And I'm like, oh, this is my industry. And I can sort of see it from the inside. Like, is this really good for people? And then people started to say, yeah, why is our data being sold? Is this really good for us? It's making us more anxious. And I'm like, huh, there's tech isn't bad. And it's not that we can't connect us more deeply. It's just that Web2 social wasn't really designed intentionally. So I'll stop there because, because then, then it kind of all goes towards like what we've been doing in kind of the Web3 space. Yeah, I love what you said, the intentional design. What was, was there really even necessarily an intention behind it when it was set up? And uh, certainly not the intention that I believe that you have in setting up Playground in how you want to be able to empower and, and really ultimately connect. And yeah, is, is social media even bad or really is it how it's actually being incentivized and how it's being uh, promoted. Like what's the, what's the flywheel? Is it a negative flywheel or is it a positive flywheel? And there's an opportunity to align the incentives and to create this positive flywheel. And I think the way to do that is to just transition into things that are on chain and have a completely different paradigm uh, so that, so that you can create these virtuous, virtuous cycles and, uh, kind of encourage that true human, uh, connection, uh, make, you know, the creators truly empowered and, uh, compensated. So, um, yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting, uh, insight having worked on the inside there for so long. Yeah, I think that it, it definitely will be a new paradigm and a new era of web being social when we see, you know, what's what um, other, you know, social projects have been building when they finally do come out. I think it will be totally different. I think it, because it's a new paradigm, we almost need new language around it. Like I feel even calling it social media feels bad to me. I feel like, is it community media or is it social experience networks instead of like social media you know and so i think they're i feel like a lot of web3 language would probably be reinvented just like social media is probably not the best terminology but um i do think you know the idea behind playground was in its name so first and foremost before web2 or web3 discussion it was the idea that the whole world's a playground and no matter who you are that community surrounds you and that there's always new things to do and new people to meet and and we wanted to encourage active participation. We wanted to be a platform that's community-centric, designed around um, shared experience. So, like, everything's a drop. Like, if something active is happening that you could jump into, whether it's virtual, real life, or in the metaverse. Um, and 
that data should be private and should be decentralized. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I mean, it's good to like learn from Web2 mistakes and then to build real utility. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of work to be done still, including like how we talk about it even. Indeed, yeah, that's provocative. I hadn't really thought about changing the nomenclature because it really does change the fundamental perception of it by changing the name. If you're just trying to just take the Web2 structure and then just turn it into Web3, it's people still have a lot of the legacy and baggage there. So I think uh, maybe you're, you're the person to do that to uh, start to... Uh, start to promote something that's more, I, I, I think the, the whole community side, um, that's, uh, that's actually more of almost a web one idea. I was part of a community website. There was like GeoCities and I was part of the founding team of a group called Renren that was before social media. So maybe we go back to, uh, the, uh, the, the, the community side, which feels a little bit more, uh, substantial. So, um, so speaking of mistakes made from web, web two or, um, just mistakes or lessons learned in general, you know, you have a, a really strong, uh, background in a lot of these larger organizations. And now that you've struck out on your own as a entrepreneur, uh, tell us some of the trials and tribulations and triumphs along the way there. Some of, some of your lessons learned along the way. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, I had, never fundraised before so you know presenting in um in an ad agency is really different than presenting to investors so at an agency everything is super polished and super perfect right and because it's like the last it's the last bit of polish for a global brand um and so i think that with investors though they just need you to be yourself like the most yourself that you've ever been and I think that you know um I had to unlearn some of these like you know the presentation style pitches like you have to like kind of connect with the investor and be, like they trust you because you're being honest not because it's the perfectly crafted pitch so I just thought that the, the style of pitching was really different from one industry to another that's beautiful yes that authenticity the really true you and the true you is pretty is pretty awesome and they're basically a lot of times especially in the early stage you're betting on the jockey and not the horse so you have to really believe okay the horse and the racetrack and okay i get it right but like i really have to believe in the jockey riding that horse because i don't really see much so far um so i have to really really believe in them and who who, who is she what's uh what's really what's really going on there so can you, can you, um, can you share an anecdote or like something that where you kind of evolved during that process and were able to change your pitch process? Like what were, what were some of the actual like mechanics around that? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, learning just to, you know, say, I don't know sometimes, like, just like, I'll get back to you. I think that shows like a sense of confidence and strength and honesty. So I think that for a young entrepreneur, it's like, I was, you know, I, you, you, 
yeah, you know, you can't know everything. And so like, I think that I learned just to be comfortable with sometimes um, being saying like, I'll get back to you. And, you know, I think as each time I interacted with an investor and got back to them, they saw progress and they saw like an informed, uh, thoughtful answer. And then that you can, you know, have the confidence to come back to them like that. I think that was, um, yeah, it was really different way of relating to investors. Um, but I have to say, a lot of the mistakes that I could have made, I were avoided because of who I partnered with really early on. So I think I have a really unique journey in the fact that before I quit my job, um, I actually, you know, approached my now co-founder and chairman, Jason, who was the founder of the agency I was working at. And he has started multiple companies and sold multiple companies so i feel like she was like taught you know don't give that equity away keep it you know i've been through all of the stages all the way and like you know things giving me a lot of tips so actually maybe the most important lesson is probably like find a mentor because you can't do it all around um definitely I feel like the strength of a great entrepreneur is like, can you bring people in with you, especially now in Web3 where everyone's like decentralized and working. So definitely don't try to do it on your own. Find a mentor and like find your team, find your collaborators um, as the very first thing. You know, you think about the idea, it's really about the team. Great. Go, Jason. I, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's great to learn from your own mistakes, but it's way better to learn from other people's <laughs> mistakes. <laughs> And then you can make, you can make all new ones. Uh, that's, it's okay. You're going to be making mistakes. You're going to be basically a mistake machine as an entrepreneur. And you just have to just chew through them and, uh, turn them into, uh, beautiful, elegant solutions all day, every day. But, um, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. Excellent that you're, you're able that, that also speaks to you too, right? To be able to get somebody who really can give you that time and energy and guide you along the way. They really saw something in you yeah i think that also because i um have like a varied background than other founders it was easier maybe for me to care too much about the polish again it goes back to kind of the industry i came from versus like in tech it's just more like it's just you know it's like fast just get it out there it's okay if it's not perfect people have said this before um, but I think it relates especially to founders that, you know, come from a very, uh, you know, a creative or visual industry where, where, where that matters. Um, so I had to find my own balance of like what, you know, I want to show it in a way it can be proud of that's, you know, to my colleagues and other fellow creatives is something that they can resonate with versus like a uh, unskinned tech product that may be like more. Uh, other types of um, founders would would look at it just for its utility. Like I wanted to create something beautiful, but I did not want it to let it get in the way of of building other things. Well, well, you have certainly created something beautiful. I think it's a beautiful, elegant solution uh, that UXUI and then the underlying. It's like a little the UXUI is a little tip of the iceberg, but then underneath all that incredible functionality uh that's come together in a in a super elegant way so so whatever whatever you whatever you did keep doing it it's pretty 
pretty Thanks. terrific. <laughs> uh, Josh, really, really enjoyed my chat with you. Thanks so much uh, for your time and uh, look forward to watching your evolution. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to having you on the journey. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only. <laughs>